Hi, my name is James Browning. I'm here to learn how to be a small group leader. I've been a small group leader in the past, but a few months ago, I joined the Small Group Network. When I did, I had access to some of the most successful small group people across the country, and I've learned a lot. So I wanted to share what I've learned straight from those people to you. So whether you're a new small group leader, whether you are considering becoming a small group leader, or whether you're like me and you've been a small group leader for a while, but just want to learn a little bit more, this is for you, how to be a small group leader. Joining me today is Shelly Lee from Study Gateway. Shelly and I have had opposite careers. Before my time with Saddleback Church and the Small Group Network, I worked for HarperCollins Christian Publishing. Shelly currently works for HarperCollins Christian Publishing, but prior to her time there, she worked at Saddleback Church with Purpose Driven. So even though our paths appear to be going opposite directions, Shelly and I both share a, a passion in our heart for small groups. Shelly has years of experience both working with Study Gateway and providing tools and resources that small group leaders and small group uh, pastors and point people use every day, but also in leading her own small groups and, and being involved in small groups here at Saddleback Church. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to sit down and speak with Shelly, although we did have some technical difficulties and lost a big portion of the audio. Fortunately, we were able to recover the bulk of it but we're missing both the beginning and the very end of this. I will try to include the notes that she was so gracious to give me in the show notes here so you can download and and see what else you're missing. She was able to have most of it as a script, so you can find just about anything missing in that portion there and get all the bonus extra stuff in the recording. So without further ado, Shelly Lee from Study Gateway. So one of the ways that I've seen uh, groups do this, and we're recording this in September, so it might be a little early for this, but we had a group that was very uh, creative and very musically gifted. And so they just did Christmas caroling. They went all around the town, and especially during the pandemic last year, uh, this was a big deal. They were still masked and outside and six feet apart and not going into people's houses, but it was an amazing way to connect with the community. I love that. And here at Saddleback, we also encourage small groups to do Halloween outreaches and to gather everybody in your small group together and sit on the lawn and welcome the kids and all of that. What I do for Halloween is I combine those two ideas. I dress up as a little old lady who's very confused and thinks that it's Christmas and that think that all the trick-or-treaters are coming to sing Christmas carols carols to her. Mm -hmm. And so she, and so I, she, I, um, I decorate my house for really tacky Christmas stuff. And then when the kids come, I make them sing a Christmas carol and then, and I do a little old lady jig to whatever they've done. And then I give them candy canes. And I also pass out information about Saddleback's Christmas events that are coming up. Oh, perfect. Great so, idea. Yeah, th- that's been a, a, an annual tradition. And I've got now second generation kids coming to see me every year. Okay. Um, off topic, next idea for expanding your mission is to have everybody um, be the light spread some cheer. Now, one small group leader sent me videos of their group driving up to the houses of people who were quarantining, getting out, holding up a sign that said, our small group loves you. People were hanging out of their windows and waving and cheering and made them so happy. Um, Also, another small group 
took on the ministry of writing handwritten notes of encouragement and mailing them to people who need to know that someone is thinking of them and praying for them. There are so many people right in our midst who are lonely and alone, and you never know how badly they need just the simplest message that they are not forgotten. Note writing is a really impactful ministry. In fact, my small group of of high school girls, um, we undertook the idea of putting together a care package because one of our girls, her dad was in Afghanistan at the time. And so we sent a care package to him and his entire unit um, with notes as, and, and prayers that the girls had written um, and verses that they had chosen to, to write to these people that they didn't know on the other side of the world. That's such a great idea. Um, you could also go the extra mile. If you're going to serve at the food bank, tuck in an encouragement card or a gift booklet in with the supplies that they're picking up or pray with them when you make your delivery. Okay, so, so far in this section, we talked about expanding your mission by changing your name up to a book club and expanding your group to include seekers and expanding your purpose outside the box and practicing more of your spiritual gifts and expanding beyond your group and spreading cheer to your community. So, this last idea about expanding is about expanding your routine to develop a more robust prayer life as a group. Now, you were telling me something about prayer and what LifeWay discovered about prayer and small groups. Yeah, LifeWay's research division, LifeWay Research, did a study and found that small groups pray more on average. People who are in small groups pray more on average than people who are not in small groups. Believers who are otherwise committed to their church didn't pray as frequently as someone in a group. And so, I I love your point about engaging in prayer here because uh, prayer is really kind of a strength of your group. And lean in on that strength. Mm-hmm. Don't don't let it just sit there. Uh, go for it. Mm-hmm. So many groups kind of end up getting into a bit of a rut or a routine, and they kind of tack on prayer at the end of the meetings, or they squeeze it in only if we have enough time. Um, they kind of do a blanket prayer of everybody, everybody's request and then send them out the door. So, um, if you pray the same way every week, why not expand your group's mission by tackling how you pray? You could start by doing a, a study on prayer, such as the one by Philip Yancey called, innovatively, prayer. But um, you don't have to do a whole study on it. You could simply challenge yourselves to pray a different way every week. A great way to do this is to assign a different group member to be your prayer champion every week, which means that you're rotating the responsibility for running your prayer time through every member of your group. Even people who've never prayed in a group can be a prayer champion. They can use their week to run a prayer time that doesn't involve praying out loud if they're uncomfortable with that. There are all kinds of ways you can pray creatively in your online meetings, and here's some that you might want to try. One that I love is pass the baton. My husband runs a weekly Zoom prayer time where he starts with the person at the top left of his screen and asks them to share their request. Then he goes to the person next to them on his screen and asks them to pray for that request. Then that person shares their request and the person next to him prays for him and on it goes across the rows of people. Then there's the days of the week approach. When my daughter was in college, I remember getting into her car and seeing this index card stuck to her dashboard with the days of the week and a name beside each day, Monday Megan, Tuesday Lindsay, etc. So I asked her about it and she told me that these were the girls in her small group and this was their schedule of who the whole group would be praying for on each day of the week. So your prayer champion might like this idea and have your entire group praying together for one or two people each day, cycling through everyone over the course of the week. How about the random shuffle method? 
In my high school girls group, I had one prayer champion who felt really uncomfortable praying in the group. So she had everyone write their prayer request on a card. Then she shuffled the cards and distributed them. And you prayed for the whole week for the person whose card you randomly got. An online version of that might be where your prayer champion pairs up people who are next to each other on her screen and has them exchange cell phone numbers. And then they text each other their prayer request and check in with each other throughout the week. Um, you could use Zoo breakout rooms. If your prayer champion is, uh, if you make them the co-host of your Zoom meeting, then he can assign pairs of people to Zoom breakout rooms. Then when it's prayer time, he splits up the Zoom call into separate rooms so the pairs can pray privately with each other. Then at the specified time, Zoom returns everyone to the main room. My last idea is the focus topic idea. Here, your prayer champion might decide to focus your prayer time on one topic, such as healing, where everyone shares a prayer request for healing of health or healing in a relationship. Or she might say, this week, we're going to make a list of the people we're praying for to come to know Jesus. Then everyone would write in the chat the names of the people that they are praying for. My son, Jacob, my neighbor, Michelle. This might become somebody something that you regularly revisit. So you could save that list and pray together on a regular basis for family members, co-workers, neighbors, friends who need Jesus. So your prayer champions could just choose a different person from that prayer list each week and lead the group in brainstorming a simple way that one person or your whole group could care for that person that we're all praying for and practically demonstrate Christ's love to them that week. So this prayer champion idea might surprise you. I'm going to camp on this just a little bit more. In my high school group, I had one girl. She was this naive cheerleader who was very new to Christianity. And by the time it was her turn to be the prayer champion, she had not yet prayed out loud in the group. So when it was prayer time, I was totally expecting her to do one of the I don't pray out loud things. But she asked us all to bow our heads. And she proceeded to go around that circle of 15 girls and pray for each one, specifically mentioned their high and their low that they had shared back at the beginning of the evening. <laughs> I have never been more shocked and humbled in all my years as a group leader. Her, her new faith, her care for her friends, her courage to put herself out there, these were all things that I did not expect at all. And God kind of put me to shame for judging and assuming that He wasn't at work in her. Turns out, our prayer champion was a prayer champion. So, God definitely will expand the mission of your group if you put a fresh emphasis on prayer. Man, I love that. That's such a great story. Okay, so we've talked about plugging them in and about ideas for expanding your mission. The third set of ideas to regroup and get people to stay engaged with your online group is making it irresistible. All right. So if your people are experiencing Zoom fatigue, how are you going to make it irresistible enough to get them to show up for yet another online meeting? So the next idea is be capitalists. Adopt a free market system. So in economics, a free market is self-regulated system driven by what the consumers want and need. In a small group, this means you're choosing studies based on the felt needs of the group. But you might say our, our uh, small groups do sermon-based discussions, so we aren't choosing what to study. Well, sermon-based groups are great for helping people really understand and apply the sermon. And do you, have you had other people talk about sermon-based groups this, this, this week in the podcast? I, mean, I know that you talk about that quite a bit. Uh, I think we have someone who's going to, but they have not yet. Oh, okay. All right. So, 
Um, so, so for, but for some groups, the whole sermon-based idea might be right for them some of the time. But there may be times when the group is grappling with something that's not being addressed by the sermons, and you need to decide whether or not it's okay for groups to go off script and pursue a topic that's important to them at that time. Some churches actually call this the free market system, and many do a hybrid of sermon-based and free market groups, where they might have seasons where they ask all the groups to focus on a church-wide theme and other times where groups are free to choose their own curriculum. So, it's a simple fact that groups tend to stay together longer when their needs are being met. It's kind of a simple thing, but if you're trying to figure out what to study next, instead of looking for the newest study by your favorite author, look instead at your group. Try jotting down something specific about the life of each member of your group. You're going to probably see a few top needs emerge. So now, direct your search towards a towards looking for a study that addresses one of those needs, or maybe even line up two or three studies, so that people know that even if they're not particularly into this study, the one you're doing next is the one for them. But how do you find studies that meet the needs of your group? Well, it helps to have access to an extensive library that carries studies on all types of topics or books of the Bible. Now, I shared this point um, in a, in a a workshop that I did recently, and one of the ladies that listened that listened to that workshop listened to what I am about to tell you, and she decided to go out and and follow my advice and start up a small group. And I just interviewed her on a podcast of my own, and and learned all about how she um, did did this and went and started a group. So here you go. Um, so. Um, if you were to have access to to what I work with, which is Study Gateway, um, which is all all of our curriculum is written by authors and pastors and Bible teachers who are published authors by by Thomas Nelson and Zondervan, and so we've got published study guides that go with all of our video studies that not only give you help in leading the discussion, but they also give your group members activities and further study between the sessions. So these study guides are written by professionals, and they expand your experience from this two-dimensional watch-talk format um, to a multi-dimensional learning experience that gives every type of learner in your group a way to apply the scriptures to their lives in their own learning style. So, Study Gateway doesn't cost anything to browse through the library and see what studies we offer that could address what your group needs, so check out studygateway.com. Now, I want to pick up on something that I just said that leads to my next idea. So, remember I said that you could line up two or three studies so that people know that they can look forward to something after you're, after you're done with this one. So, the next idea builds on this, and it is to follow the yellow brick road. People are going to tend to stay engaged with your group for a longer period of time if you have a pathway mapped out for them to follow. So think of Dorothy and her companions and how the pull of the yellow brick road was irresistible. Um, consider with your group what spiritual growth goal you want to progress towards together. Do you want to improve your biblical literacy, understand your theological beliefs, practice your spiritual disciplines, improve on your relationships? Decide on a goal and then sequence together a series of studies that will take your group on a progression towards that goal. By picking and choosing different studies, you can hear from different voices and try a variety of learning methods along the way. So, for instance, if you decided on a goal of getting better at sharing your faith, you might start with Rich Wilkerson's Friend of Sinners to learn how Jesus did it. 
then move to Tim Keller's The Reason for God, which helps people answer people's questions, then Matt Brown's Truth Plus Love to get at the right attitude to have when you're sharing your, your, the truth. And then Lee Strobel's Making the Case for Christ and finish off with Andy Stanley's Irresistible. So, Here's a fun one. Let's say your group wants to figure out their life purpose. You could start with Rick Warren's, What on Earth Am I Here For? And then you could follow that with this awesome study called My One Word, where you choose a word for your year. Then you could go on to Max Licato's More to Your Story to discover your place in God's plan. And Lisa Turkers, The Best Yes About Decision Making. And then John Ortberg's The Me I Want to Be. So, you know, the, the, the possibilities are endless. And, and you yourself, as the Bible study leader, can kind of do some research and sequence together studies in a progression that peop- that would help people to in your group to achieve their spiritual goal. And they're more likely to stick with your group if you're working towards a goal together. That sounds great. Um, okay, so we've talked about how to regroup by plugging them in, by expanding your mission, and by making your groups irresistible. Now, our last set of ideas for regrouping is all about killer fellowship builders. And these are some fun things that you can do online to build community with each other. So let's face it, online groups can feel flat and unengaging. But if you were to start taking the first 15 minutes and doing something that adds a dimension of fun and connection, your group times will take on a whole new level of sizzle. And I got these ideas from Saddleback Small Group Coaches. They sent out these ideas to us when we were at the at the brink of the pandemic and said, here's some ways that you can ca- keep people engaged with your group. Okay, ready? Here's the first one. Do a lightning scavenger hunt. Challenge your group members to go find an item and show it on screen. So, but here's the idea. Send them off to hunt for items that would involve a story, such as bring back your favorite mug, or go find the item you've had the longest, or show us a book you did not enjoy. Things like that. How's that sound? Does that sound fun? Yeah. Okay. What book did you not enjoy? I have, man, I, that's a good question because this year I really committed to not finishing books that I was really not that into. <laughs> and so I probably dropped more books this year than in the past and have, it's the right decision, but now I can't remember yeah, what they're called. S- several of the options. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, next idea, do a show and tell. Take turns showing off some of your quarantine home projects or reveal what's in your fridge or have a challenge to see who has the most disorganized drawer or closet. A couple of weeks ago, I actually did this with my neighborhood. We hadn't been able to have a social gathering in over a year, but the last time we got together, we did this progressive dinner where we went into each other's homes and saw the renovations we'd each done to our houses. So a couple of weeks ago, we had a girls' night in and we did a Zoom house tour. And so we went around and shared something that was most challenging about our year. First off, we kind of connected with each other uh, emotionally. And then something we did that we would never have been able to do if it wasn't COVID with so many ideas of things that blessings that people got from be, from being able to to stop doing a lot of stuff. And so they were able to start doing some, some things. So that was a really great way to help us all reconnect with each other. And then we did the show and tell part of the evening. So we did house tours by either showing pictures or taking our phones around and showing what we had done in our houses. We saw backyard landscaping, a new fireplace, new flooring. I took them upstairs and showed them my new closet that was installed by Jesus. It really was. I had Jesus closets come to my house. So this is a fun one that you could do every week. Choose a theme such as something you made or your biggest mess or your favorite spot in the house and have everybody do a show and tell. Another idea is teach a master class. 
have everyone in your group tell you if if you had to teach a class on something, what would it be? And then schedule times when each person can offer a tutorial to the group about their favorite hobby. Again, we've done this in my neighborhood and we've learned how to cook an Israeli dessert. Another person taught us how to macrame. We even learned Persian dancing. Wouldn't want to have wanted you to be uh, watching that one, but okay. Um, do a sing-along. You could ask everybody to choose a YouTube video of their favorite worship song, and then you could screen share on Zoom and watch them together. You could do one a week or have everyone contribute on the same night and make it a whole night of worship. Okay, the last idea for the, uh, that, that I am bringing to this uh, time together is that the most killer fellowship builder that most groups either underestimate or avoid and that is food. Now, I'm not just talking about your chips and dip or even cheesecake. No, I'm talking about a real bona fide full meal. Now, before I tell you why this is such a revolutionary idea, I need to harness all those brains that are going on overdrive and silently yelling at me, but we can't have a meal together, you ninny. So, I've got some ideas about how we can eat together safely. But first, let me unpack this, the principle of food and the way that it came to me, which was back in the day when we were able to meet in person. So, I'm in a small group that's been together for 18 years now. And over the course of our years together, one thing that has kept us consistently attending our meetings has been sharing dinner together. Now, some people don't give a lot of credence to the idea of sharing a full meal. They would say, as long as we have coffee or maybe a snack, that's enough. Or, we don't have enough time for a meal. But I would tell you, in the seasons where we tried to not do dinner and just serve a snack, attendance fell off so bad badly that we canceled more meetings than we held. So we decided to stick with what works and we've been meeting for dinner every week for years. We rotate to different homes. The host home serves the main course and the other group members bring the salad and dessert. We share our meal for an hour, then we do our study for an hour and a half. So here's something I've learned. Um, so Zondervan uh, publishes Alpha, the outreach program that has been tried by millions of people in 169 countries. So interestingly, no matter what country Alpha is taking place in, having a shared meal is a requirement for every meeting. Because across all cultures, all languages, it's a universal fact that people relax and let down the, their defenses when they eat a meal with each other. So, according to Alpha, it's imperative to welcome people with hospitality in order to create a place of safety for them to process their most personal beliefs. So, that got me to thinking, why don't I try this with my, with my high school life group? So, I had this group of 15 girls since they were freshmen, and last year was their senior year. I wanted to create a space for them to connect more deeply with each other and to forge a bond that would go with them when they graduated. So, Every week, I made them dinner, and I believe that out of all the seniors' life groups at Saddleback Church, ours had the highest attendance record of them all. I averaged 10 girls a week in their senior year. So, here's some advantages your group can experience by including a meal at your gathering. First, food is inviting. 
Showing up to a small group can be a scary experience the first time. And for some people, even after the first time, it can feel a bit intimidating. You can help reduce those fears by offering a meal. Whether you're serving breakfast at a morning group or dinner in the evening, the meal creates an inviting focal point that draws a person's attention. And now, it can also be daunting to you as the host to think of providing a meal. And so here's what we do. We just have all the members bring uh, c- contribute. Everybody brings a piece of the meal. So that takes the pressure off of the host and it makes allows people to immediately participate in something that everybody knows how to do. And it instantly gets everybody on the same page. The next thing is that food opens conversations. Food gives us this natural topic of conversation. We could talk about the food um, and all the participants have that in common. There's no better way to encourage conversations to take place on a more personal level than to have a meal together. There's something about the act of eating food that brings down barriers and puts people at ease. Here's a weird one. Food helps decision-making. Remember Esau, who gave up his birthright because he was hungry? So food has an impact on our ability to make wise decisions. One expert says, even the wisest people won't make good choices when they're not rested and their glucose is low. So we want our group members to be at their best when discussing and learning and making decisions that can change their lives. Some of our members may not have eaten for several hours before our meeting, so giving them food at at your gatherings can make a significant difference. And finally, food encourages problem solving. Group's expert Ryan Sanders suggests that every group needs to have an obstacle to overcome together, which encourages group identity and unity. So, instead of seeing a shared meal as something too daunting to take on, too many logistics to work out, look at serving a meal every week as a wonderful obstacle to overcome together, especially because you'll get a meal out of it. So, you'll have to figure out things like timing, budget, logistics, dietary restrictions. Oh my gosh, in my high school group alone, I had to accommodate girls who were paleo, vegan, gluten-free, and lactose intolerant. So we did a lot of taco bars and pasta bars. Okay. But now we have the added challenge that the group needs to overcome together, and that is social distancing. It's a huge obstacle. So a shared meal might look different now than normal, but problem solve this with your group. Does this mean serving individual portions instead of buffet style? Could you put groups of three or four in different rooms of the house where they can sit six feet apart? Or could you split up between multiple houses for dinner and then meet all together on Zoom for your study? Maybe at the very least, you're all bringing your food to the Zoom call and eating together virtually. So figure out a healthy way to protect all your group members and still enjoy a meal together. So that's that's basically it. Well, I I love that food idea, and um, it reminds me of of a campaign that I did uh, when I was a missions director at a church in the past. Uh, we did um, we were trying to encourage people to pray for missionaries leading up to our missions conference, and so what I did is I went to several different people's houses and had them do a cooking show cooking a meal from a country of each different missionary. And uh, they were just regular people. They weren't, most of them weren't expert cooks. Some of them, and this was what was really interesting, we got such an intimate look at everyone's house and kitchen and how they cook and how they prepare. We'd go to one and it would be a professional kitchen. Like it was, it made filming it, like, and I'm not a film editor or 
any of that. It was just done with a phone and the whole nine yards. And it was very unprofessional. But the first one that came out looked like an actual cooking show because their kitchen was so amazing. The very next one was in a tiny apartment that was so small, I couldn't get far enough back to get everyone in the shot. But the family was so funny and engaging in doing this that it just made it a very entertaining uh, show. And so then we would put the prayer request and the recipe on a card and hand it out. So this could tie back to what you talked about earlier about watching something ahead of time. You could uh, film yourself, your your family making a meal, uh, your favorite meal that you would serve if mm-hmm. we could all be together, writing it down, the recipe, and then sharing that with them on social media and tagging everyone. And I... Uh, letting everyone, including the non-group, watch it because that's a way to kind of bring in people to your group. Uh, The other option would be to do it live. And again, this is such an intimate experience with food and cooking. And you see this um, whenever you make a commercial, whenever you're doing an ad or marketing, you always make it aspirational. You do something like the thing I joke about with my wife is there's a bicycle or a guitar in the background of every commercial just because people like to think of themselves as musical or exercising and this is the kind of life I want to lead even if it has nothing to do with whatever the commercial is advertising. With video chatting uh, devices or apps, you'll notice every commercial for one has someone cooking while they're talking to someone else because it's such an intimate and personal experience that everyone wants that when they're video chatting. So go ahead and do a meal together via Zoom, and you'll find that it is such an intimate experience compared to just sitting at your desk looking at your computer, and you'll see people mess up, you'll see people make messes in their kitchen, and you'll see people... uh, struggling just to put it all together. But that's the beauty of it is that level of intimacy and letting someone into your into your kitchen, really, which is the heart of your home. I love that. That is so cool. So many people are so interested in cooking these days. All of my kids, I have five kids, they're all adults, and they all, the the, the biggest treat that we did for them for Christmas one year was to give everybody a cooking class. Mm -hmm. So I I think that that would really uh, strike a lot of chords with people. If you'd like to know more about what Shelly does with Study Gateway, head over to studygateway.com and see what they have to offer. Part of this episode was clipped off at the end, and Shelly is offering a free sampler and some basically freebies for small group leaders who want to try out different curriculums, including curriculums that offer video resources. So if you're stuck with looking for... Uh, some curriculum or some ideas for studies with your group, head on over to studygateway.com and check those out. Jason Bantoff here, Group Talk Producer, and I just want to say thank you for tuning into this special five-part series, How to Be a Small Group Leader. If this series impacted you in any way, check out our other podcast from the Small Group Network, Inside Saddleback with Steve Gladen, Here to There with Carolyn Takena, Leadership Journey with Bill Search, and Reading Lens with Nick Lindsay. These release every Wednesday, so don't miss them. Also, are you looking for community with other small group point people like yourself? Join our Facebook group. This group has over 7,000 people who want to share and learn about what they're doing in small group ministry. Strengthen your group's ministry today by going to Facebook and typing in the search bar, Small Group Network. Just select Join the Group, and we'll get you connected to a whole new community. Lastly, make sure you visit Small Group Network.com for our free resources and blog. Thank you for listening.